Amen. That was some awesome worship. Thank you, guys. And good morning. Uh, my name is Justin, but I guess you can call me your Bible DJ today, based on these decorations. I love, uh, I love when I see these decorations go up, because I know um, all the hard work, number one, that everybody put into it, getting it ready, but also that VBS is on the horizon, and, and man, it is just for my own kids, me growing up, I went to VBSs, it was just, it's such an important, impactful thing, um, and I love seeing it, and so I know God's about to do some great stuff in kids' lives next week, and so let's all be praying for that and looking forward to it. Um, but this morning, I'm with you, and I'm excited. Um, we are going through a series on the fruit of the Spirit, and um, these third Sundays, I'm kind of going, picking off one by one the different fruits mentioned by the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5. Over there, we've gone through so far love, and in some sense, just so we're all on the same page, love, you'll see the hints of love come through in every single one of these fruits, nine different fruits mentioned over by Paul there. Love is kind of, well, he mentions it singular, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And so when we talk about joy and peace and patience and all these other things we've mentioned, you're always going to see kind of a tie back into love because that's ultimately what it's all about and what all of these are centering on. And they're all different and individual, yet at the same time, they have a similar foundation, and that's love. And um, as we go through these fruits, we've, we've hit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience last month. Um, one of the things that can kind of, in a series like this, it can kind of begin to pop up, I guess you can say, um, is that it kind of seems like some ways, and I, I want us to be on the same page, like this is just a list of things being put, you know, on your refrigerator that you need to do better at in life. You know, like Paul was just looking at things and going, well, look, these things are really good and I want Christians to be like these and so, you know, be better at this. But that's not actually the mentality we're to have as we approach these things, as we talk about them, um, you know, Paul had a different mentality. Jesus has a different mentality. And in essence, the mentality we're supposed to be taking as we come to these is, this is who I really am. This is why God made me. This is at the core of who I am. Um, not just a list of things I'm supposed to be better at. Not just things I'm supposed to do if I'm a Christian. But no, this is really my identity as a Christian, is Christ living within me? Um, this is what it looks like if I were to reflect what God truly made me to be. And so, um, you know, like me, when I, when I think of it like that, I immediately think, well, that's not always the case. I mean, just getting ready for church today, maybe some of you might notice you're a little frustrated, angry, hurried, not patient. You know, you go through the list as you go through your everyday thing, and you go, there's definitely this other part of me that's not these things, that I wish was a little more like these things. And Paul mentions that in Galatians chapter 5 too. It's called the flesh. Selfish ambitions, all types of different things that he talks about. And one of the ways that, that as we go through this, you have to kind of understand is that you have this battle as we look at each and every one of these things. And he says this in Galatians chapter 5. He says, the flesh lusts or battles against the spirit. It's like these two things are in us. It's, it's real. We've got the flesh. It's this part of us that was shaped by, you know, how we think. That our childhoods, our, the world around us, the culture, the society. All these different things are kind of going into this mentality that we have on one hand. And then Paul says, look, over here is how God wants to work in you and make you into who he's designed you to be. And if you don't understand that there's those two things going on, then you won't understand that it really is a choice, he says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, to walk 
in the spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. As we talk about these different aspects and traits of the spirit, he goes, I I want you to understand it's a choice. Every day you have to choose to walk. You're going to choose to go after the natural things that come to you, the natural lessons you've learned, the natural tendencies you have in this world, or sometimes contrary to that, what God wants for you. And walking in the spirit is a choice that we make to begin to fulfill the way that God wants to work out and in and through us. And I bring that up because uh, for me, as we get into today's topic or fruit, um, I really struggle with this one. It's kindness. It's not like, oh, on the surface, I'm not kind. And, you know, if I see you on Sunday, it's like, hey, you know, wave and be kind. But like deep down, there's, I, I, I guess you could say something from how I grew up where kindness It isn't as natural for me as I wish it would be. I mean, kindness is a topic that I don't think we really need to define. I think most of us, if we were to take a poll, would all settle on nearly the exact same definition of kindness, right? We We all get kindness. We all understand kindness. We all know kind people or what it feels like to be treated kindly. In the Bible, they use the word for kindness, krestos. It was used of kind of a number of, at least in the New Testament, a number of different things. It was used of mercy. It was used to translate sometimes friendliness, tenderness, treating someone. It was often tied to being generous to people. And that kind of circulates with what we think about kindness. Kindness is just right treating others in a nice and generous way. It's a real simple thing. It's the, like I said, how it ties into love. It's really the action side of love towards people. Kindness is, at the end of the day, right, we take the pull. All of us get it, and all of us, in some sense or way, wish we were probably more of it. We wish we treated people a little more generously. We wish we treated people a little kinder and more gentle at times. And as we kind of look at it, I I know for me, I have a million reasons as to why I'm not as kind as I should be, and you probably do too. We're busy. We have important things going on. That person's not really acting the way we want. I know, I know for me, like I mentioned before, we have these kind of mentalities in our flesh, these ways we grew up and learned to think about the world. And some of them, some of them serve us well. For me, an example is when I grew up, I have always been into sports. I love playing sports, not as much now, but like back in the day, I played every and any sport I could as a kid. And a lot of kids were like that, right? We played as many sports as possible. I can remember, anytime my mom asked me, hey, you want to play baseball? Sure. You want to play soccer? Sure. You want to play flag football, basketball, whatever it was. I played water polo, all these different sports. At one time, I was playing like four sports as a kid, and I loved it. And that was, to me, I loved being competitive. I loved always fighting to battle things out. And um, sports provided a big background for me or, or structure system and some good role models Um, because my parents got divorced when I was pretty young, my dad wasn't around much, and so I had these great guys that were out there coaching us and and leading us, and and, and I learned a lot of important lessons from sports. One of the most important lessons that really stuck with me through most of my life didn't come from a coach, didn't come from teammates, it came from my mom, because no one was more competitive than my mom. My mom was, she was, you know, she had four young boys. I'm in four sports. She learned to drive, you know, a Ford Aerostar minivan like a NASCAR. She was like Dale Earnhardt from one side of the town to the other. She could get anywhere at any time. I don't know how uh, that thing went so fast, but it defied the laws of physics. And so my mom would always get us, and she would always find a way to go to all our, all our games. And somehow she was always there with all these kids and all these places to be. And every one of my soccer games, no matter what happened, I could count on her yelling this at me. 
And she had, you know, you probably had parents that always said the same thing to you. My mom had one thing. And when she would yell, all the dads on the field would like cower. They would like, she could yell from one side of the field. And it didn't matter if I had a broken leg, if there was blood squirting out of my head, especially if like our team's going down. No matter what, she would yell this. And it was like, it was so embarrassing for most of my life because, you know, I'll... My nickname was JB because we had a lot of Justins that year. I guess it was a popular baby name. So I went by JB, my initials. And she would yell from one side of the field to the other. She would yell, don't get mad. Get even, JB. <laughs> like, not as much of a New Jersey accent, but like, she would scream it. Don't get mad. Get even. And I would be like, blood, my eyeball, picking it up and putting it back in. It was like, no matter what, I would hear this. Even if I was asleep, I would hear this in my head. I still hear it, you know, in the middle of the night. Don't get mad, get even. I told it to my kids yesterday at my son's soccer tournament, and they were just bursting up laughing, and they go, don't ever yell that at me. And um, for a long time as I was young, I got embarrassed. You know, all my other teammates would, like, say it to me at practice, and they would mess with me because they knew she was going to yell it. But at a certain point, it like it kind of became a, a mantra that I, I it, like. All you had to do was knock me down, and I was going to foul out of the game. I was going to just I was going to injure someone. You're going to hit me. I'm going to come back and hit you way harder. It was like a, a switch went on because my mom like I, I, she had me so trained like Pavlov's dogs. It was like I had just heard this no matter whether she was at my game or not. Like I was just I, I was ready to fight and I was ready to come to the next level and I was ready to like I, it was just something happened in me. And so it worked. She did a good job. But, like, it was a mentality that, you know, that kind of went with me and stuck with me because it served me well in sports, right? I, I just realized I could do anything. If this, these guys are good, I can take it to them. I just got to figure it out. I got to work harder. I've got to do something. And if, I can, if they can do that, I can do it. And I can do it better. And it kind of stuck with me. And it got me on better teams. And it helped me out in, in life and in school. And as I went on through college, it was like, I could do this. And it was a great mentality, and many of you have stories like that. I got to hear a bunch of them after first service where your parents or something, whatever happened, maybe there was trauma, maybe there's a big event in life, it kind of forms and shapes the way you might approach things now. Those kind of background lessons as to why you are the way you are. I bring that up because those are grooves, those are patterns in our brains, those are ways we learn to think in this world, and we really find them because they have a way of getting us ahead in this world of kind of helping us during difficult times. Maybe certain ways you've learned to think help you when, you know, there's danger around or when people have been abusing or doing horrible things. You've learned to kind of shut things off or get away. You've learned to overcome things. You've learned to be, you know, a certain way because of certain things. While they're good in this world, and they might serve to get us ahead in certain areas of life, they don't always make us reflect the type of people that God made us to be. We have to understand that as we come to these fruits, as I come to kindness. Look, I have a real sense of justice. I think a lot of us do in our culture and society. It's kind of the way we think, right? You know, you work hard, you get ahead. You know, carpe diem, seize the day, reach out and grab it. You're going to get ahead. Good things, you know, good things are going to come to you if you are on it. You know, the early bird gets the worm, right? Some rocky quotes, right? There's no easy way out. There's no shortcut home. The eye of the tiger, right? All that kind of mentality. Well, we all kind of operate in some sense in life with it. It's a dog-eat-dog world. And then I come all the way over here to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And Paul says kindness is what God's want, God looks for in his people. 
If I'm to truly reflect who God wants me to be, kindness, kindness. And I kind of think of kindness as being kind of weak, right? I can often look at kindness and be like, I don't know. I mean, the nice guys finish last, right? Um, but kindness, and Paul goes, no, you have to understand God's idea for your life, who you were truly meant to be, is going to reflect something totally different often than the rest of this world. And kindness, Jesus would say, is what I was all about. And if you miss that, then you're missing me. And you were made in my image. You were meant to reflect my character, not the character of this world. And kindness, Paul would say, look, it's not just about you. It's about others. It means you extend mercy to other people when they don't deserve it. You do for others. You elevate their lives and not just your own. Jesus himself would say this over in Matthew chapter 5, the most famous sermon ever given. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, he says, You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you this, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him also have your cloak. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks from you. And from him who wants to borrow from you, don't turn him away. Kindness. He goes, you've got to get it. You've got to understand me. Kindness is what it's all. I know if the fruit was, if the fruit of the spirit was justice, I think a lot of us would really connect with that. Cool. I hope other people get what they deserve. Not me, but I hope they do out there. Get what they deserve. Right? Justice is a lot more natural for us. We want everything to be just and fair. You want everything you put into something to come back to you. You want anyone who hits you or anyone who takes from you, you, will, you want to see their justice served, right? And it's natural for us as people to want that, but Jesus goes, I want to elevate that. I want you to know there's something even greater. Oh, I'll take care of justice in the end. God always has and always will. But your job is kindness. Your job is something greater and better than that. He goes, in the end, your life was made for more than just living after the flesh of this world. And if that's what we settle for, just focusing on ourselves, getting ourselves ahead, just making sure everything's even, he goes, you're living according to the flesh. And yes, that might get you ahead. And yes, that might work. And yes, that might be something that works very well in maybe a business setting or this setting or that setting. He goes, but there is something greater for my people because there is a reflection of me. You see, ultimately, in the end, Jesus is saying, kindness means you're being willing to do something for others that is more than what's expected of in this world. It means you treat another in a way above and beyond what someone might act for or deserve. It means you're good towards someone else for their sake and not just yours. And isn't it, isn't it so true that when someone truly treats you kind and they're not trying to manipulate you, they're not trying to kind of butter you up, they're not trying to sell you on something, when tr- someone actually just truly treats you kind, don't you just feel completely blessed, whether it's for five seconds, five minutes, or the rest of the day. Don't you just feel almost like you've gone from an outsider to an insider? Almost like you're energized personally. I know for me, um, I was thinking about this this week, um, we just got back last weekend from taking our kids to summer camp here at the church, our high schoolers and junior hires, and it's a lot, a lot of fun. And God did a lot of cool things and worked in their lives in special ways, and he always does. He's so faithful and good, and thank you guys for supporting and, and 
and everything you've done to get our kids there. And, um, you know, me, as I get older, I'm like, these camps are, are an endurance test. And I thought, you know, like four days into this camp, I was doing pretty good. I'd gotten good sleep. I'd taken naps in the afternoon. I was up all night. Well, these kids want to stay up till like two in the morning and do all this. But it was a pretty mellow camp. We all went to bed at like 11 or 12. And it was like, it was good until the final night. Um, the final night came and all the boys in our cabin um, decided to prank some of the girls. And um, I don't know where they got the idea, but um, they... Uh, <laughs> They decided to head down to the fishing tent, and I'll give you the long story because it's funner that way, uh, more, more fun. Um, they head down to the fishing tent to go get fishing poles and some, um, some bait, and they immediately throw down the poles and just take the bait, leave it out, and it was like squid guts and stuff, and they leave it out in the sun all day and then thought it would be nice to leave it in the girls' cabin when they weren't there in, you know, convenient hidden spots. So, you know, the girls uh, eventually get back later at night and they find, you know, their cabin smells horrible. It took them a while. A lot longer than expected, but um, they figured it out, um, and they find out their cabin smells horrible, and they decide they're going to go prank back the boys and keep them up all night and annoy them all night, and um, the problem with that is that my boys in my cabin had asked if they could go hang out and pull an all-nighter in the cafeteria, because the one rule is you don't wake me up at night. You can stay in my cabin, but you don't wake me up, and so they knew the rule, and they go, can we go pull an all-nighter? I go, great, go to the cafeteria, enjoy yourself, just make sure the camp director doesn't come wake me up at night, because that means you're in trouble, um, and so they, they go out, but the girls didn't know that, so they're coming all night to prank the cabin, and the only one in there is me, <laughs> and it was like all night long, they're banging on the doors, they open the door, throw in fish guts, it's like eventually, like, I'm trying to be like, okay, this is my fault, I gave the idea in the first place, like, eventually, at like four in the morning, I'm like, it's enough, I'm done, I haven't slept at all tonight, I get up, and I go to grab the door handle, and they put Vaseline all over it, with fish guts all over it, and even then, I was like, no, so I didn't sleep that night at all, I smelled like rotten fish, and I come back on the bus, we finally get back from camp, and I'm just tired, you know, and I know my family's waiting for me at home, and I'm like, oh, I'm so excited to see him, but I'm more excited to see my couch, because um, I'm just beat and tired, and um, as the kids are unloading and parents are picking them up, uh, one of the moms walks up to me, and she gives me a note, and I go, oh, thanks, and I put it, you know, put this card in my pocket, and went about, you know, the kids, after the next hour goes by, I get picked up, and I go back to my office to drop off all my stuff, and I sat down, and I'm kind of like, nodding off, and I'm going, oh, man, I need to wake up, and I, I reach in my pocket, and I grab the note, and I read it, and um, it was from a, a lady and her husband. It was one of the nicest, kindest notes, and I mean, I don't need to go into it, but it was just, you know, thanking our church for all that they do and how safe of a place it is for their kids to go to camp and how she knew, you know, little did she know they like, smell like fish guts when they come home, but like how she knew they were going to hear from God and, and how confident that makes her as a parent, and and I was just reading this thing, and she goes on and on, and I just, it like, literally, that moment I read it, it was like, I was awake. I just, I don't know why, I just felt, put everything into perspective, made everything I did worthwhile. It's like, that's what kindness does. You know, whether it's the littlest thing, a smile, it makes you just feel better. Whether it's a compliment, or a note, or you reaching down and doing something bigger, greater, that's the core of kindness. It's taking someone else... And not for your sake, but for their sake, going out of your way to do something that expresses something that will lift them up. And I remember that note because I just sat there and the rest of the night I was like energized. I went home, took my wife out on a date. It was like, great. It's like I was, I was awake because that's what kindness did for me. And I think we've all experienced that from someone. 
We've all had that moment where someone said something to us or believed in us and reached out and, and, and it just makes a difference. And that's the power of kindness is that it literally has the ability to make a difference in this world when not much does. I mean, it's the core of kindness, right? Generosity and love and action. There is so much in this world that we think is going to make a difference. There's so much arguing and debating and protesting and fighting and grumbling and complaining. and ar- You go down the list. Look, never in the scriptures do we find God ever tell us to focus on our needs and desires above everyone else. Never do you see Jesus say that you're to store up on earth your treasures, No, what does he say? Store up in heaven. Or gifts of kindness and things that lift people up, that's that's what heaven is all about. Never do we find the Bible say just protect your own interests, focus on your own career and on yourself. It's like fight to be the greatest. Never. Never is that the mentality or, or the old famous Bible verse that's not in the Bible verse that people love to quote, right? God takes care of those that take care of themselves. That's never in the scriptures. That's never a mentality that God wanted us to take. He goes, look, 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 you guys are missing me in the end if you're missing this. Jesus would say, and I love his example over in Luke chapter 10, Jesus had a guy who came up to him, he goes, hey teacher, it was a lawyer who are experts in the Old Testament law, and he came to him in verse uh, 25 and he said, "Uh, teacher, what do I need to do to inherit everlasting life? He's trying to test Jesus on his theology and all that, and Jesus goes, well, you're the expert in the law, what do you say? And the guy goes, well, and he quotes right, he goes, quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Leviticus 19. He says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus goes, great. You figured it out, now go and do. And this guy goes, oh, but, but, but wait, 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 wait. Who is my neighbor? Who, I mean, and we always look for a technicality, right? Like, well, I'm supposed to be kind to other people, but what about if it's just my family? If it's just my people, what about just my group of friends? What about just, and so Jesus told him a story. He goes, look, there's a guy who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. A little 20-mile journey for them, a couple days or maybe a day if he's fast. A uh, a 20-mile journey, and this guy goes along the road, and along the road, as he's walking, he gets beaten up, robbed, and left half for dead. He's all on his own, no one to help him. Everything he had was taken from him, and this guy's laying here. And there's someone who walks by. It's a priest walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. And this priest walks by. Priest, by the way, represented the pinnacle, if you would, of the Jewish religion at the time. They were the the ones who sacrificed for man before God. The ones who stood in the place as a mediator of God's covenant and his people. And the priest walks by and the priest sees this guy and he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. And he walks by on the other side of the road. Has no time. We don't know why. We don't know if he's afraid to touch him, to be unclean. If this guy dies, well, then he's suddenly in trouble. We don't know if he's got people at home. He's been doing his priestly duties over here. Um, He's got people at home waiting on him. We don't know what the deal is, but Jesus says he passes by. Next up, a Levite comes by. And the Levite, if you guys know anything about the Levites, they're kind of like the second half of the religious circle of the day. The Levites were the tribe uh, tasked with tending to the needs of the temple, making sure the worship and all those things went on. The Levites and the priests were like, the upper echelon of religion. They knew everything. They were the ones who were supposed to be the most connected with God. And along comes this Levite. He sees him laying there on the ground, and he goes, I can't touch him, and he passes by on the other side of the road. Two guys representing the religious system of the day. Those people who claim to be following God see this guy, one of their own countrymen, laying on the ground, and they go, can't touch him. 
Can't do it. I'm busy. I've got my own things to worry about. I've got my own duties. I've got my own, you know, religious rules and, and reasons why I can't do this. And Jesus goes, there's a third guy who walks by. And you guys probably know the story by now. Third guy was a Samaritan. Samaritan walks by. Now, first of all, as the lawyer hears this story, he's going to go, oh, man, a Samaritan. Right out of the gate, they just hated Samaritans. There was no one more despised. Like, they were thought of as, as half-breeds in some of their literature and their culture. There were people who had, who had been removed in 722 BC, one of, the, one of the early captivity times, removed from the central part of Israel, and they had kind of pulled those people out and brought them into captivity, and some people stayed behind, and then people from Babylon and other areas came down and intermarried and kind of brought in this pagan hybrid Jewish system. They had their own temple on Mount Gerizim. They had their own priesthood. Everything was different, though. And so the Jews hated the Samaritans. And the Samaritans, there's lots of literature about this, they hated the Jews. It was like back, it was like, I don't know, Dodgers and Giants fans. Or Dodgers and Astros fans nowadays. But like, it's like they hated each other. And there were two sides of the aisle. And so neither normally a Samaritan would never stop for a Jew. And normally a Jew would never stop for a Samaritan. And along comes the Samaritan guy. And it says he sees the guy on the ground, the Jew. And he was moved with compassion in Luke chapter 10. It means from the very bowels on the inside of him, he's like, I feel for this guy. The deepest part of me is like, I have to do something for him. So he gets down off his animal. He, he comes and he binds his wounds. He anoints him with oil. He, he begins to pick him up. He gives him his spot on his animal. And he walks him into the nearest inn. And he pays for him to have all the medical treatment he needs. And he says to the innkeeper, look, I'm leaving you with two denarii, which was a lot of money. And he says, look, I'll come back through. And if I owe more money, I have no problem paying it. Just let me know. And Jesus looks back looks back at the, the lawyer who's arguing with him and he goes, which one of these two was his neighbor? Or which one of these three was his neighbor? And I love it because the lawyer was so angry. He doesn't even say the Samaritan. Couldn't even get that out of his mouth. That's how much he hated him. He goes, the one who had mercy on him. The word for mercy is often translated as kindness. He goes, go, good, go and do likewise. Go. Don't put your head down. Don't hide behind religion. Don't hide behind these things. Don't hide behind politics. Don't hide behind whatever it is you're afraid of. Whatever it is that sometimes we put our heads down and hide behind. He goes, no, 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 you're missing it. Go. Lift other people up. Make their lives better. Love me and love others. That, that's what you were meant to do. These guys, these, these are a picture for us, I think, so often of what we kind of do. We end up getting so into our own lives, so into our own identities, so into our own careers and problems and things with our kids and our families. And we, we put our head down and we miss the fact that we have an important role in this world to literally lift up and make other people's lives better. That's how God wants to work in this world often. And if we miss this, man, we're missing the very core of of what Jesus is, what God is like. You miss that God is kind. I mean, time and time and time again in the scriptures, it mentions how kind God is. In the Old Testament, surprisingly, most people think of God as this grumpy old God up in the Old Testament, ready to just strike down and, and knock people over and be angry at him. But one of the most commonly mentioned attributes or way that God acts towards people is in kindness. 
the word has said there um, for kindness in the Old Testament. I just started counting it, and it was mentioned over 30 different times. And I stopped counting at 30 because I was like, wow, that proves the point. It goes on way more than that, that it's said that God is kind, God is loving, God is uh, merciful towards people. And it's all that same word. Over in uh, Jeremiah 9.24, it says, I am the Lord who exercises kindness. I goes, that's me. I am kind to people. Psalm 36.4, how precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust in the shadow of your wings. You're kind, God, so we know we can trust in you. One of my favorites, Psalm 63.3, says, your loving kindness is better than life. I love that. It was this idea that God wanted people to understand about him. He's like, look, I am kind. And if you're to be my follower, if you're to be someone who comes after me, look, that's what I want reflected in you. I'll take care of all the little things. I'll take care of all the justice. I always have and I always will. You be a reflection of me, of my grace and my goodness. Because in the end of the day, God is kind. And this is kind of what blows me away. When we get this, this is like almost the catalyst for us ourselves to change. This is one of those unique things where he goes, if you get this about me, if you understand this and you really accept this, then you yourself will be changed. Over in Romans 2.4, it says, Do you not despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance, and his longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness, or the Greek word is krestos, the kindness of God, leads us to repentance? Because don't you understand That what changes people in the end, turning the right way towards God, facing him and going on the path that he has for them, is God's goodness, his kindness, how he's reached out to us when we didn't deserve it, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. That while we're in our worst state, God looks at us and he's like, now's the perfect time to treat you kindly. You don't deserve it. You haven't earned it. And you never could and you never would. And the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for you. I'm going to cleanse you because of my righteousness. And because of that, he says, look, that's how we repent. That's how we personally are changed. When we respond to God's kindness, when we see how good and awesome he's been to us, it makes us better. It sets us on the right path in life. Paul says this over in Titus 3. He says that it was the kindness and love of God that was poured out on us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And when we begin to kind of fathom that personally, when we get how forgiving, how merciful, how absolutely kind God has been towards us, man, it changes us. And it also reveals in each one of us the type of character, the type of person that God wants us to be. And as we close this morning, the question isn't, who should I be kind to? The question isn't, should I be kind The question isn't, what is kindness? I think we all know that. The real question is, are you willing to get out of the way? Are you willing to just let God work in you and do what you know he wants to do in your life? Are you willing to take that selfish you, that part of you that, yes, has all those problems and setbacks and flaws and traumas and grumbles and complaints in life, and are you willing to just set it aside? To let God work in and through your life. When you're willing to do that, when you're willing to take that step and to walk in the spirit like we talked about in the beginning, God goes, awesome. Let's be nice to people. 
It's not complicated. It's not crazy. Don't argue with them. Don't always be right. It's okay. Well, I'm not going to get ahead. Well, I'm not not going to be looked at as strong. Well, I might be looked at as weak. And God goes, well, you think I worried about that with my son Jesus? Do you think I don't have your back? Do you think I don't provide for you everything you need in this world? Just trust me. You could be nice. You'll enjoy life a lot more as well. I mean, I know for me, I, I was like thinking about this this week. I'm like, what little things could I do? And I was thinking about this as I was about to go for a run. There's nothing more miserable in life than running. And I was about to go for a run. I am trying to get back in shape. I'm getting older and I'm like, this sucks more than ever. And I was lacing up my shoes and I was like about to put on, you know, I don't know. I'm from the generation that puts on music that we just hate everything and want to beat everything up and it makes us work harder. Um, and so I was about to put on my playlist and just go out and do, do my exercise and put my head down. I was going around the Mission Viejo Lake, which is about three miles. And uh, I just decided, I go, you know what? Every person I see, I'm going to be nice to and I put on nice music. Uh, I probably won't work out as hard, but oh well. Like, you know, I'll, 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 uh, I'll, every, every baby I see, I'm going to be like, hi, little baby. You know, and like, just, just be totally nice. And it was, it was a lot of fun. I'm going on this walk, and I see, you know, elderly people. And I'm like, hey, guys. I'm like, God bless you guys. And just, you know, sharing and being nice. And, and I'm actually enjoying my run for about the first mile. Um, and then, like, you know, I was, I was still, like, you know, waving to people, and, and, like, I could see people's faces. Yeah, they don't want to, most people don't want to acknowledge you at first if you're being nice. They're just like, you know, that's weird. Being nice is weird, right? But eventually, they kind of, like, if you're nice enough long enough and you keep waving, they, they eventually break down. And I'm like, you know, it was cool for the first couple of miles. About mile three, it got really weird. Because it was like, hey, and it was, like, kind of, like, creepy, kind of, like, you know, um, people are like, their strollers veering away from me, but I was still trying to be nice. And I, mean, I got done with it. I'm like, look, I could have taken that, you know, what should have been 30 minutes, but 45 minutes. Um, and I could have just focused on me, myself, and I. And that's much of life, right? We can take whatever time we're given and it can be all about us and our things. I go, but for the five seconds to each person I talk to, two and a half minutes maybe altogether, I made other people's lives better. I mean, I really, it wasn't much. I was just smiling and and trying not to spit on them as I'm running and like just being nice to people. I literally had the ability to make people's lives better. And we don't know what God is going to do with that. You don't know what person you're going to talk to when you bless them. You don't know what, like for instance, one of, uh, I was on the phone with someone this week. Some of you guys had, had been so supportive and given extra money to send kids to camp, which I talked about, and you guys made generous donations. And you could have easily kept that money for yourself, but instead we had calls here and people were sponsoring kids and all that. This week I was on the phone complaining about a bed I have um, to some customer service agent. And I was like, look, I was at summer camp and the beds there, which were like held together by body fluids and about that thick, were way better than this bed I'm sleeping on right now. What can you do about it? And he goes, wait, 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 wait. You went to a summer camp? And he goes, I'm not allowed to talk about like religious stuff on the line because it's recorded and they'll fire me, but like, was it a church one? And I go, yeah, it was. It was a Christian camp. And he goes, man, I got to tell you, I'm like 50-something now, and one of the greatest moments I've ever had in my life, something that forever changed me, was when so- I was 13 and someone paid for me to go to camp, and I went to camp, and it was this camp, I don't know what state it was in, he goes, and it changed me forever. And I was like, that's cool. Someone in his childhood was kind. Someone could have kept that money, kept that whatever resource or whatever they gave that $5 for themselves. 
And you know what? In this world, the way it operates, you would be totally justified in doing that. You'd be totally justified in looking out for yourself first. But God's kingdom doesn't work that way. And the impact you have and the person you're to be is way better and bigger and beyond that. And it starts with understanding how kind God's been to us. To each and every one of us, how graceful he's treated us, and then kind of coming to the conclusion of how could I not be kind to others? How could I sit here and hold on to that for just myself? How could I think that in the end it's all about me? Kindness. I don't think I need to define it. I don't think I need to argue into doing it. I think we all know what it is. The real question is, are you willing to get out of the way? and Are you willing to step out and let God work through you? 99 times out of 100, it's going to look like kindness. So imagine that. Imagine if just us in this room or just us on the patio and in this room or online, if if just our church made it a goal this week to step out of the way and just say, you know what, I'm not going to focus on myself this week. What can I do that's for someone else? How can I be kind? Maybe I have a business and I can bless someone else with it. Maybe I have this resource in my life. Maybe I have this time. Maybe I have this. And I'm going to pour it into other people and being kind to them. Imagine how much better our world would be. How much more we would elevate the lives of other people. And how much better our witness would be of who God really is when we're kind. Versus argumentative. Versus selfish. Versus head down and me first. And Jesus would say to us, as he said to that lawyer, go and do likewise. This is who you were truly meant to be. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so very much. First and foremost, for your great kindness towards us. God, we never deserve the blessings you give us. We never deserve the love that you've showered upon us. We never deserve what you've done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. To know that no matter what we've done, no matter what we've messed up, there's forgiveness and grace and mercy. As David said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And that's our promise from you. So Lord, thank you for the goodness and kindness you've shown toward us. And now we look to our lives and we we ask for the inspiration, the opportunity, and the ideas that your spirit's going to have about being kind towards others. Help us to make a difference and to lift the lives of others and ultimately to reflect who you truly are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.